Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Arnold Pollat. Welcome to Season 4. Well, it has been a busy summer, but we are right now, according to my inbox, hitting tech season at full pace. We had the Apple event yesterday, so we're going to talk a little bit about the things that happened in this episode over the summer, a couple of the places that I went that you may not have been caught up on, talk about traveling in Central Asia. Then I want to talk about the Apple event. I want to talk a little bit about all the things that Apple talked about yesterday. And one really important feature that may have gone below or under the radar for a lot of people, but I think is going to be a big deal for travelers, both good and both bad. And then I want to talk a little bit about what's coming up in season four, some new things with the podcast. We've uh, been tinkering here behind the scenes over the last couple of months to try to make things better and try to improve and expand upon the podcast and also to reply to some of your requests. So I think some of you will be happy. And the rest of you, well, I don't know. Anyway, let's start. Let's kick this off right away. Let's talk about a couple of things that have just hit the YouTube. We've got a couple of videos from Turkey, from Kars, which is in the northeastern part of Turkey, and then Rize, which just came out today, from a place which might be heaven for breakfast lovers. So if, I know we're going a little bit backwards. We're going to jump back into the summer, but I want to talk about this place that is in the mountains along the Black Sea coast of Turkey. The drive from Kars, which is very mountainous, very high up, meaning that in the summers it is very, very hot. The evenings are very cold. Winter, it is absolutely freezing. It is about 6,000 feet up. I want to say off the top of my head, that's about the altitude. Um, so that drive, that five-hour drive, goes between different climate zones and different environments. And then you drive down into these really tall, green, tall evergreen trees, which reminds me of like uh, Seattle or Canada or Sweden, those places. And you drop down. And if you know where to go, if you watch the video, you'll find a place called Cine Cafe, which is outside of the town or the city of Rize. It's about a 30, 40 minute drive outside. It's nestled right up there where they're picking the tea. And it is one of the best places in the world to get breakfast. It is one of the most beautiful places to be. It's worth spending a couple of days out there. It is a region of Turkey that is not very well traveled by foreigners. It's absolutely gorgeous. The food is great there. The breakfast, both in the morning, but then they also have lunch and dinners there. Um, the, everybody working there, the owners are absolutely the most friendly and nice people. Um, and it's worth definitely visiting. I, I highly, highly recommend it. It's a quick flight from Istanbul. It's like an hour flight away. So if you want to get off the beaten path, that's definitely where to go. And, and that's where the latest video, by the time you're listening to this, is going to be from. So before this, before this adventure across Turkey started going into the summer recap, I was traveling in Iraq, which we talked a little bit about. And there have been some developments in Iraq since the last time I was there. If you've been following up on the news, uh, we're going to go in depth in that coming up in the next couple of weeks. But before, you know, after Iraq, I came to Turkey for a couple of days, then I flew to Central Asia. So the, the last region 
where I was traveling and filming with Central Asia. That's mainly Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, which both were fascinating for different reasons. Uh, Kazakhstan, probably you're going to think of Borat, right? Like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, it is a much more developed place than you would expect. You know, if, if you go to the capital of Almaty, it's, it's a big city. It's very sort of laid out with these big, wide streets, these big, wide avenues, these big... I, I did a tour of the metro stations there. So I went to every single metro stop there because every metro station there, one, most of the core metro stations there function as bomb and or nuclear bunkers. That's why they are so, so deep underground and so big. They can hold a lot of people, but they are decorated just absolutely beautifully. They are like museums, art pieces in their own right. So that was one of the weird things, sort of the unusual things that I did. And I was telling people, hey, I'm going to go to all the metro stops here. And everybody was like, yeah, that's a great idea. All the locals were on board. So they said, uh, that is something that you should definitely do. It's one of the things to do in Almaty, at least. Um, another thing I did was I tried fermented horses milk. Horses are a big thing in Kazakhstan, both riding them, owning them, and eating them and drinking their milk. So I tried fermented horses milk, which tastes like a very, 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 very sour yogurt, like yogurt that's gone really bad or milk that's gone really bad with bubbles. So it's it's uh, carbonated. I don't, I don't know where the carbonation comes from. It is a delicacy there. I was offered this uh, drink, uh, I think after my first meal that I was there, and it it uh, it was pretty intense. It was a very strong flavor. It was one of the most intense flavors that I've tried. And I, I, I've tried a lot of things around the world, but this one, this one was uh, it, it was um, it was a tough one. It was a tough one to tough taste to get accustomed to. Um, so yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about that. Some videos coming up. And then uh, let's see, what else did I do in Kazakhstan? Oh, yeah, I ate a bunch of food because the food there is great. It's like a mix of Asian and Russian, maybe Middle Eastern foods, a lot of noodles, a lot of meats, a lot of vegetables, a lot of heavy broths. You can tell that this is a cold part of the world, that the winters here are very harsh, that there's not a lot of places, you know, they don't have a lot of fertile cropland you know traditionally so a lot of the foods are very hearty you don't have a lot of fruits and vegetables you do have some of course you have beans and things like that but you really have a lot of noodles like these flat noodles that really remind you more of of china or you know east east asia and not so much central asia and you can see that places like kazakhstan are just the crossroads um and then kyrgyzstan which Kyrg Kyrgyzstan, as, as you'll say in in English, um, was like taking another step almost somewhat back in time. It's a, it's a country that has a lot fewer tourists than Kazakhstan. It is a country that's a lot smaller. It's closer to the east, further east. The food there definitely is much more a blend of Russian and Asian cuisines. It's It's one of the more interesting places that I've I've eaten. It is a country that is 
you know, ethnically tied to it's a Turkic country, um, but Russian there, 60% of the population speaks Russian. Most of the people who are under the age of 30, Russian is their first language. Not a lot of people, not a lot of locals speak Kyrgyz, which is somewhat close, you know, it's closer to Turkish where Kyrgyz people can understand Turkish people, which was really helpful for me since I didn't know much Kyrgyz. But with a lot of the people under the age of 30, mostly, they don't speak any of the, the local languages that are sort of dying out, going extinct in favor for the more overarching Russian that's spoken. And in fact, they were telling me that a couple of years ago, they, they decided to try to make all of the the official papers, all the government papers to make them in Kyrgyz to kind of, you know, as sort of a nationalist push, but also to sort of uh, promote the use of the local language, sort of the native language there. And it didn't last very long because a lot of the people in the government couldn't read any of the documents because they don't read Kyrgyz or really speak it. So it's it's back to Russian and, and dual documents there. So I thought it was very interesting um, it's just a part of the world where, you know, it's almost like the 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 back, the back alley of the world, sort of. It's, it's it's these are places that are not on the news a lot, um, so they're fascinating to travel to. You really get a taste of being one of the first travelers and tourists to visit these places. So I I you know, they're not the easiest places to travel to an extent. They're hard to get to. There aren't a lot of connecting flights. The flights in between the countries in Central Asia aren't very well connected. There aren't trains between these countries for the most part. Um, and COVID has sort of mucked up a lot of the the bus routes. So it's not the easiest to fly. You've got to do some you know, travel hacking and plan out your route and courses in sort of this weird, weird way to make sure that you can get everywhere, even though the countries on the map are very, very close. It's a very mountainous terrain, so you have to fly usually. Um, otherwise, it's going to be like, you know, 30 hours on the road and you might not be able to make it and so on. Anyway, that's what I was up to over the summer. A lot of doing uh, Central Asian countries, filming, and now I'm in full editing mode. So I'm just trying to catch up for on all of these trips and travels to share them with you on YouTube. And then catch up to the tech season, which brings me to my next topic, the Apple event. So talking about the Apple event, which was yesterday, which was Wednesday, whenever you're listening to this, it was Wednesday, September 7th. It is always a big event for just one fact that Apple is amazing at marketing, that the Apple event, the new iPhone captures, I think people's attention like no other tech release of the year. I think people who are not into tech even really care about the new iPhone, even though this was a very incremental update. Um, I think it really has a lot of people interested in the new iPhone 14. Uh, there were a couple of the drops from Apple. As a developer, as someone who develops apps like DroneMate or Wifox, that gives you that all the airport passwords around the world or DroneMate, which gives you all the laws and registration forms for your drone internationally and so on. It's kind of a big event, at least for me, on to see both how iOS 16 is going to look, the latest version of iOS. For developers, you know, we usually have a sneak peek into that 
a couple months in advance. So we get those early beta versions. We can start testing and, and changing that. But one thing that Apple, which you might not know, one thing that they do keep to themselves are any physical design changes, which is really interesting to me. So this year, getting into the iPhone 14 and the Pro, the notch is gone and it's in favor of, of the island, dynamic island, which is basically like a punch out on the top of the new iPhone. So it's very reminiscent of some of the Samsung phones or some of the Android phones. It's not uncommon to see that there. But having this now punch out changes the physical layout of the top part of the iPhone, which means some editing and some updating that we have to do. As, like I said, on the development side, they don't share that with us. So they don't want to, Apple doesn't want to leak what the new iPhone might look like, or what the new iPad might look like. So they keep that to themselves until the day of the launch. So it's a surprise for all of us everywhere, anyone. And there you go. So the dynamic island is a new thing. Okay. It gives you a little bit more screen real estate. It looks a little bit better just as people were getting used to the notch. I wonder if they're going to do this to the MacBook. But I think the biggest news, especially for a lot of you who travel, and I got a lot of feedback about this on Twitter, was that the iPhone 14 and the iPhone 14 Pro, this has been rumored to happen for a long time, but it's going completely eSIM. So for those of you who don't know what that means, let me do a little explainer. So I think a lot of us, most of you are pretty familiar with the concept of a SIM card. So having a small physical card, which goes into your phone, which is essentially the code that ties that phone to a particular carrier. So let's say you have an AT&T phone or a Vodafone. The SIM card, when you open up a new account or a new phone line, they'll give you a SIM card and you put that in your phone. And that tells the phone and it also tells the network that the phone is going to join things about the phone, how basically gives it an identifier to the network so that the network can then sort of uh, verify your credentials. And then if you've got like an unlimited plan or a 30 gigabyte plan or whatever your plan is, it's going to adjust it based on that. And for years, Apple has said they were going to get rid of the SIM card. And the simple reason is you've, you've noticed two things. One, if you're old enough, you remember that the current micro SIM that we have used to be a full size SIM, which was a little bit bigger piece of plastic. The SIM card, the micro SIM now is just basically cut down to the smallest piece of gold that they can get it down to. They've cut out all of the extra plastic, if you've noticed that. So there's two reasons you want to go eSIM. One is that it's possible. It's possible to go digital, right? That we don't need a physical SIM card to authenticate a phone to the network. A lot of the new phones have the capability where they don't need a SIM card. So iPhone 11 can use eSIM, iPhone 12, 13, 14. Most of the Android phones, especially the flagships, are eSIM compatible. And basically what this means is they don't need a physical SIM card. So let's say you are signing up to a service like Mint Mobile or AT&T or Verizon or whoever you happen to be using around the world. Most of them now offer an eSIM version. And what that means is you sign up online or wherever from the phone, you sign up to a new line, right? You're going to get a new phone number. You're going to get a new data plan and you can just 
basically take a picture of a QR code from your phone and that will set up the SIM card portion on the phone digitally. You don't actually need to physically take out a SIM card and then put it back in to your phone. And there's a couple of reasons this is really advantageous and why Apple wants to do it. One is that it opens up some physical space for them in the actual phone. So you know that Apple is trying to squeeze out every last millimeter of the internals of the phone, the internal space of the phone to be able to put, you know, batteries, components, sensors, whatever it is. And if you look at the screen of the iPhone, the bezels are tiny. There's very little room around the edges of the phone. That little knot, the notch, which is now a cutout in the iPhone 14, you can see that even the things that they absolutely have to keep are what they're keeping. They're trying to get rid of everything else because space is so valuable on the phone and so is screen real estate. So is battery life. These things really matter and are what drive sales. So by getting rid of the physical SIM card space, it doesn't seem like a lot of space, but in an iPhone, if you're an engineer, that space is significant, can be used for a lot of different things. So opening up that space uh, as from the engineering side gives Apple a lot of options. What it does for you as the consumer, first of all, iPhone 14 and Pro, when it goes on sale outside of the US, they will have physical SIM card trays. For the phones sold in the US, they don't have, they won't have any physical SIM card trays. And I think this is going to be, you know, a little bit jarring for a lot of people. It was for me. I'm I fully use eSIMs. I've been using eSIMs primarily for the last two years now maybe even longer than that. And it's a little bit confusing to set them up. They're not very intuitive. So, you know, you you basically, unless you go to like a, a carrier place, you know, a carrier office, you know, or a store, and they set it up for you, most people, I think, are going to find the process a little bit confusing, right, to set it up. So if you're in the U.S., you probably, you're going to get an iPhone 14, you're going to get that from the store, it's going to already come pre-set up for you when you get your phone or when you, you know, when you load your old phone into your new phone, it's going to set up the SIM card in theory. It's going to set up the electronic SIM card for you. Where it gets a little bit tricky for international travelers is if you've gone to another country, you know that your phone might not work. Data plans might be more expensive if you're trying to do roaming. So a lot of us have just been getting SIM cards from that country. So you go to India, you get an Indian SIM card. You go to Russia, you get a Russian SIM card, whatever. Now, with now, you won't have to do that. Um, you can just load it up as an eSIM. And what that does is a service like Airlo, which this is not a, a sponsored ad or anything, but it's it's a service that I use. So let's say I'm going to Kazakhstan. Before I get on the plane at the airport or wherever, I will just buy a SIM card, an electronic SIM card for Kazakhstan which has data only. Sometimes it gives you a phone number, basically gives you data, let's say five gigabytes or 10 gigabytes for a week or a month or however long you need it. Once you load that up, you can run that electronic SIM card along with the SIM card that's already in the phone. So whatever your home service is, like AT&T, that remains. You're just adding another SIM card plan to your phone. Does that make sense? So you go to Germany, you get a German SIM card. That way you have data. You don't want to burn up all of your data from using roaming and you go to, you know, Finland, you get a Finnish card and so on and so on and so on. And you can load as many of these eSIMs as you want. You can load them up 
they're a lot cheaper. They're usually somewhere between $7 to $20 to $30 for a month of like gigabytes and gigabytes of data, uh, amounts of data you're unlikely to go over. So um, very, very useful, I think, for travelers. Now, if you have an iPhone 14 bought in the US and you go to India, for example, and you're not up to date on using eSIMs already, you go to a store, they're going to give you a SIM card and you're not going to be able to put it into your phone because there's no SIM card trade. It's like physically, it is not possible, it does not exist in the new phones. And I think that's going to catch a lot of people off guard. So my recommendation to you would be to get caught up on eSIMs now, especially if you're you know, upgrading to the iPhone 14. Just make sure that you get caught up on using eSIMs. I have a couple of videos out. Just uh, you can search on YouTube, Fox Nomad, Aerolo, or eSIMs, and you'll find explainers on how to use it and get used to it. Because if you travel internationally with the iPhone 14, especially to a country where they're not completely up to date yet. And there's going to be a transition period, I think of about six months to about a year until everyone is on the same page with Apple that you might get into a spot where you can't get additional data on your phone. And obviously you could just install an eSIM when you're abroad, but that might be more difficult. You might be you know, short on time or whatever. So just something to keep in mind and be aware of. It is the future. I think if you are headphone jacks, we still have some of those on some of the phones eSIM SIM cards, that is a technology. The physical SIM cards is is going to go away and um, it's not coming back. So the, the faster you get used to it, the better. A couple of other things that came out of the Apple event that I think travelers might be interested in. One is the new Apple Watch Ultra. This is basically a rugged, tougher Apple Watch. One that has more battery life, one that's stronger than the old Apple watches. But let me tell you this right now. If you've been looking for a new smartwatch and you don't already have an Apple watch, a lot of people have asked, what's the best watch to get? I'm like, what do you want it for? There's one of two things. Do you want it to stay? Do you want the watch, smartwatch to stay connected to your messages, your emails, and your phone? Like, is it important to you to stay connected? Is that why you're getting the watch? Or... Are you somebody who runs a lot, who works out a lot, who swims, who skis, who who wants it to track activities? There are two camps. I'll make this really easy for you. If you just want to stay connected and you already have an iPhone, the best watch to get is an Apple Watch. So it's some version of the Apple Watch. If you're interested in sports or health tracking or running or staying in shape, those kind of things, then you really just want to get, I think Garmin makes the best watches. There are a couple of others, a couple of others, but I, you know, I think for the price in which you get, the Garmin's are the way to go. Now, that's not to bash the Apple watches. I just think that they're, the Apple watch is designed to do many things and especially to tie you into the ecosystem and keep you connected with messages, iMessage, emails and that. And you can do that with the garments as well. That's that's not impossible to do, but they're more dedicated toward fitness. So I think this new Ultra, which is their basically their outdoor, tough, rugged Apple Watch, 
if you want it, you've been looking, if you already have an Apple Watch and you're happy with it and you love what it does, then maybe the Ultra makes sense to you. But if you've been looking for something like an upgrade and you really want it for sports tracking, then you're probably better off going with a Garmin. And the reason I say this is because, first of all, the new Ultra is $799. It's an $800 watch. Whereas you can get the equivalent uh, Garmin Venue 2 or 2S for about 250 on sale or $300 is the regular price, but it goes on sale like every six weeks. So just wait. The Ultra will give you, I'm just looking up the stats now, the Ultra will give you about 36 hours of battery life. And that is when it is cutting off some of it. So that's when it does a little bit of low power mode toward the end of the battery life. Whereas the Garmin, for example, the one I wear, the Venue 2S, has 11 days of battery life, 14 if you turn off the GPS, um, which is significant. You know, 11 days of battery life for 36 hours under ideal conditions, which really means it's going to probably be like 30, 28, 24 if you're using the GPS. That's a good amount. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know, when you're traveling, you've got a couple of early morning flights. You know, you're 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 out and about. Charging every night might not be feasible. It might not be easy. It's just easier to have a watch that can last you a couple of days. Also, the the Garmin's charge up faster. So they have a faster quick charge. So they can get you up to 80% uh, a lot faster within something like 20 minutes or something like that of, of charged, you know, into a wall. Um, they have, like the Ultra, they're always on retina display and so on. So talking about watches, I would break it down in those two ways. If you already have an Apple Watch, you love being connected, you can't live without iMessage, you like taking phone calls from your wrist, uh, you are not you know, scared by having emails available to you all the time, Apple Watch is the way to go. If you're interested in sports and fitness, unfortunately this update from Apple wasn't enough to, to switch my stance on what's better in terms of overall, you know, as as far as brands go, I think the garments are the way to go. So that's kind of the recap for for travel things. Um, when it comes to the Apple event, I do have an Apple an Apple. I have an iPhone 14 Pro on the way for review, so that's coming in for a review and an unboxing and a couple of other things. Oh, and a giveaway. I don't know if you've you've seen the the not so hinty hint that I've left on Twitter, but there will be a giveaway as well. And that's going to go out to all of the people who are subscribed to the Fox Nomad YouTube channel. Also, if you leave a five-star review on this, I will add another point for you. And I might, I might even read your review in the next episode. So if you, if you're interested in a new Apple product, then those are all the places that you can find and follow me to enter. And hopefully, hopefully you win. So uh, check out those coming up. All right couple more minutes, a couple more minutes of this episode. I want to talk just a little bit about what you can expect for season four. There's a couple of the things that we've done differently this season that I'm really excited about. And one of those is just the format of the episodes. So I'm going to, this is basically behind the scenes. We're basically going to try to change up how I record so that I can edit the episodes faster and get them out to you much quicker. Um, that's one thing. So look forward to 
this season, which starts now and is going to go until the end of May, perhaps early June. We're going to have our episodes. We've got them planned out. We're going to have a lot of really just fantastic guests that we've been working with all summer to get on the podcast. I'm really excited to share those with you. And all the episodes that we have with guests are going to have a video version as well. So those are going to be released on Saturdays. That's going to be coming up in the next two weeks. You can start seeing the first video releases from the Fox Nomad podcast on YouTube if you prefer to watch. The, the episodes where it's just me for now, uh, we won't have a video version of those, but with guests we will. And for those of you who listen, you probably know this, but if you're new to the podcast, you might not know that I actually record with guests. I always record video with them. So it's easier to see the person I'm talking to, especially when we're doing these interviews over Zoom. It makes it easier to see the other person and see if there's a, you know, a delay and just read facial expressions. It makes the interviews a lot smoother. So I record all of those. I have a lot of the episodes from season three already recorded. So if you haven't seen those episodes or you've really just been curious to to watch one of those episodes, to just see the guest and, and see me chatting with them, then you're going to get to do that. Uh, those episodes from season three, a lot of them, I don't have all of them, but a lot of them are going to start coming out. So just make sure that if you would like to watch the episodes that, that, uh, that you, you know, you, you check them out, you know, that they are available to you there. All right. This is the first episode of season four. Uh, it's kind of a recap and a sort of a, a focus on what's coming up. And I just wanted to sort of touch base with you as this rocket ship takes off because there is a lot coming up. I'm really excited. I'm ex I got today, if I can just digress for a minute. I got today three big pieces of tech. I got emails, three major releases, and those are coming in hopefully soon in addition to iPhone-y things. Um, so I'm super excited about that. I've got a bunch of still travel videos coming up. I may have a trip or two planned really soon in here. And then it's boom, boom, boom through the end of the year. I'm really, really excited. I'm so glad that you're here listening to this episode. Thank you everybody who has supported the podcast, who has been leaving your five-star reviews. If you haven't left a five-star review already, I really appreciate them. It helps the show grow. I I can't say it for season four yet because we just started, but season three, we broke so many records. We hit the top lists in Europe and North America for tech podcasts, for travel podcasts. So it's it's just really all to your support. So thank you all so much. Thank you for putting up with the hiatus. A lot of you said you wanted more episodes. So guess what? For season four, going to try to do that. We're going to try to get as many episodes out to you as possible. But if you have any other feedback, you can always tweet at me at Fox Nomad. And if you have any guests or topics or anything that you're interested in that you'd like me to discuss or me to pull guests on, then, you know, tweet at me as well. All right. This is the end of this episode. Thank you all so, so, so much for your support and for your reviews and just for listening and being generally awesome people. I will talk to you in the next episode, but until then, hope you have a great rest of your day.